Hey there, Moxie girls. It's Meredith from the podcast, Meredith for Real, the Curious Introvert, where I talk with paradoxical people who share unlikely lessons, like the happily married swingers who give marriage advice, episode 86. If you like personal development and are ready to meet people outside the algorithm, come visit me at Meredith for Real, the Curious Introvert, wherever you listen to podcasts. You're listening to Midlife Moxie. Here are your hosts, the always funny, but not always appropriate, Gail and Christina. Welcome to Midlife Moxie. We are a community and podcast all about midlife women making this one of the best seasons of their lives. Well, I'm one of your hosts, Gail. And I'm Christina. We're going to be sharing our stories, struggles, and joys while bringing you experts on topics that you care about. And we're going to do it while having a whole lot of fun. So buckle up, girls. Let's get our moxie on. Well, hey, Christina, how's it going today? Oh, it is a day. It's a We've day. had some technical issues, but it's don't all we good. Always. We're here. I hope our listeners don't do. mind that much. <laughs> we try to have our content and our comedy show cover up for our lack of technical acumen, but it seems like something goes wrong every single time we try to turn these this complicated system on, but we're here, we're here, and... We get excited every time, but I'm telling you, this lady today, her story is one that just blows our hair back. Mm, It does. She's, She's talking about fear and how to break through it. And OMG. She's speaking to my heart. She's one of them. You know, I'll... I'm really attracted to people who are unique, who don't fit the mold, Mm. who stand out. And this lady, since the very first time I spotted her on Clubhouse, she has stood out and she's not fit any mold. And I'm just constantly surprised by her. So let's meet her. You guys ready to meet her? Her name is Linda Sunshine West. Now, Sunshine is not her given name and she's going to tell you about that, but it's part of the story. She is the founder and CEO of Action Takers Publishing, and her mission is to empower y'all, five million women and men to share their stories Mm. with the world to make a greater impact on the planet. She's affectionately known as the queen of collaboration. She is, y'all, she's a true supporter of women and men. She is just, you know, a fantastic cheerleader. She is a book publisher, speaker, multiple time, number one best-selling, international best-selling author, executive film producer, and a red carpet interviewer. I mean, what has this lady not done? And to, if you could just meet her, y'all, she is the most humble, unassuming mm. person that I may have ever met. And so welcome to the show, Linda Sunshine West. How are you today? Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks so much, Gail and Christina, for having me. And, you know, when I hear my own bio read, I'm like, who is that lady? Who is she? <laughs> who is she? It's, you're this, this strong, powerful um, woman with a, uh, a very soft presence. So, Linda, let's start with the name. I mean, girl, you've got Moxie. We know that. I'm surprised your name's not Linda Moxie West. But tell us about Linda Sunshine West. Yes, Sunshine, as you mentioned, is not my given name. And it's a name that was given to me after I started my personal development journey, which was at age 51. 
you know, at age 51, I was driving to work after 36 years in the corporate world. And this was my 49th job. I was working for a judge in the ninth. Okay. Circuit whoa, whoa, whoa. Back up. Let's okay. make sure our listeners okay. caught that. There'll be interruptions. Okay. I just make sure I know. <laughs> Your 49th job? Yes. Yeah. I actually counted them because I was going to be speaking at an event and I was going to be talking about, you know, jobs, you know, going back and forth to jobs and stuff. I was like, I better know how many jobs that is. So yeah, my 49th job. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. So I was working for a judge in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeal, which in California, which is where I am, that was the, that is the highest court. And I was working for the number one judge in all of San Diego, which is where I I live. And, you know, I had made it like, this was the penultimate. I had worked 20 years in the legal field, um, seven different law firms, and I made it to work for this judge. So it was really, really cool, but I was so bored. Oh my gosh. I was like a glorified, no no offense to anybody out there, but I was like a glorified uh, travel agent. I was making really good money, great benefits and everything, but I was bored. That's not me. I'm not, that's not what I like to do. And so I was driving to work one day and I was just filled with anger, filled with anger my whole life, you know, but I was like, oh, I hate this traffic. I hate this job. I, just the word hate was seething from my body at all times Mm. for the most part of my life, the first 51 years. And so I was like, I don't understand this whole planet. I don't understand, like, why am I even here? I have no value. I don't do anything. All I do is push papers around for a a judge, you know? And I was just so filled with that, again, hate and anger. It's like, what's my purpose? I have no purpose for being here. So when I got to work that day, it was just coincidental, or was it the universe speaking to me? A woman inside of a private Facebook group posted a post and it said, I'm a life coach. I took some time off and I'm getting back into it. I'm looking for five women who are ready to change their life. And I was Mm. like, oh my God, that is me. I want to change my life. I don't know what this means, but sign me up. (laughs) So I signed up to work with her and I worked with her for five months. That was, first of all, the greatest gift I've ever given to myself is to say, I'm ready to change my life. And then the fact that I remained open to the change is why everything started unfolding. Okay. There's so much there already, Christina. I mean, we're just dying to get our little forks out and get into it, aren't we? (laughs) (laughs) Here we go. So food falls through forks, so you better break out your spoon. Uh, We need some good spoons for this one. Yeah, the spoons. Unfortunately, Linda, I think there's a lot of women out there feeling what you're feeling. We feel unimportant, washed up, unnoticed, like we're not doing anything that matters, even when we've been, mm. by a lot of people's measurements, successful. Don't you agree, Christina? I I absolutely do. Um, and just to have that realization, Linda, of I need this says so much about where you are at and how you are like ready for that next step. And I love that you said, I don't know what it was, the universe or whatever, but I was ready. And you you really looked at, why do I hate everything? Why do I feel like I'm unimportant? And you were ready to make a shift. And I want to just tell you that's super powerful because there's so many women that just bypass that. They push on through and they don't recognize that they need somebody to say, hey, Let's change the trajectory of that and let's get you on another path. Gail, what do you well, think? 
And Linda, you're not a flippant person who makes rash, like my friend over there, Christina, is an Enneagram seven, <laughs> and God love her. If my she, Well, I I just want to make the difference. I don't think Linda is an Enneagram seven who sometimes like we that set because I have seven in me and sometimes you want to chase the shiny object or the next big thing or the next idea. And so if a seven hears that someone has a new life course, they will just jump on that. That it doesn't strike me. Although you did quit all those jobs. I am a seven. Oh, you are. Yeah, I think I'm a seven. (gasps) I think I'm a seven three, if I remember correctly, but the seven was so prominent, like the other numbers don't even matter. I am dumbfounded. You do not fit the typical mold for his seven. Well, I don't know. You are just always full of surprises, Linda. I mean. Well, okay. I, I ran away when I was five. And I was gone for a week. And that kind of started a pattern of running away. And so like, mm-hmm. I was in brownies for about two weeks. I was, I tried Girl Scouts for about a month. I did um, football for about, you know, a month or two. Like I've done a lot of different things that I just, I just jump into everything. So what is the tipping point for you? Because I know for Christina and she can talk for herself, but anything that feels painful, she's ready to go. Mm -hmm. Used to be that way. And so that's what the power of working with that life coach did for me is that like what I, who I am today isn't who I was my whole life. You know, I have made decisions. That's the thing. We have the power to make decisions to change. So I made a decision to change, to not be as flippant, right. As I had been all those other years, but, and you, in this entrepreneurial journey that I started at age 51 is as I started going through trying to figure out who I am, what I'm all about, what value do I have to offer? You know, what's my purpose? Like I, I went on this journey to figure all this stuff out. And as I was going through on this journey, I tried a whole bunch of different things. Just kept trying new things because I wanted to see what was the thing. The and thing. if I didn't try and all those always, new things. It's always a new thing, isn't there? Yeah. Always. Yeah. Well, always let me ask you both because here's something I think that may play into all this. I feel like when we have seasons of our lives, when we have no control, and you definitely, mm. I know a little bit about your story and you're going to tell it today. And I know Christina had moments that she felt no control, that when you get in a position where you have control, because I felt this way, there were times that I felt like there was nothing I could do about my situation. So then when I get in situations where I have choice, I can be that person that can just say, nope, I'm out of here, not doing this. I have choice now. So did that play into it that you finally had a choice and you were going to use it? Well, interesting enough that you say that is when I discover, like I have these choices it was freaking scary because I grew up in a very volatile, abusive, alcoholic household. Mm. And if you think about it, and this is a realization I just had about six months ago, by the way, is that I noticed a pattern had unfolded and, you know, throughout all these years. And the pattern that I noticed is that, oh my gosh, I put myself into overwhelm and I put myself into chaotic situations. I create chaos And so we have this thing called the comfort zone. Well, the comfort zone isn't always good. You know, like my mother Mm. was with my father for 55 years of abuse. She tried Mm. to leave many, many times and she never left. And I remember thinking like, what's wrong with her? Why can't we just leave? Like, why do we got to keep going back? I was just so, again, filled with anger. And I didn't understand what she was going through. 
until later when I understood that that was her comfort zone. It was a terrible situation, but being outside of that comfort zone was so much scarier to her than what she was experiencing in her life. I want so this Christina to, to talk about this too, because I, I think she does the same pattern. And, and I also think that women in general, we often will stay with something that's bad, but it's what mm-hmm. we know versus go yeah. with the unknowns. Yeah. Christina, yeah. is this resonating with you as she speaks? Yeah, it, it actually, yeah, it actually is. I, I just went to therapy yesterday. So, so this is, this is great. And we were talking about patterns and there is a common theme of, of what shows up in your life. And one of the things that is a common theme for me is the, uh, um, the manipulation of people manipulate or they betray me, you know, those two things, when those show up, I'm like, no. And then I start to get suspicious and I start to look at things more critical. And sometimes people are super sly, you know, they have convincing power. And so their manipulation looks like it's wrapped in love. And in reality, it's not. And that's the worst thing. Mm, It is. And that's the thing that I'm working through right now. But I love what you said about the comfort zone, Linda. You know, I used to be in, in this space of drugs and alcohol, like that was the way I lived my life. And when somebody said, it's time for you to get sober, I was like, do you know what that means? This is all I know. This is the life that I know how to manipulate in. I know how to get what I want. I know how to, to, to move here. And now you want me to go outside of that. And you want me to feel, (laughs) you want me to feel what's going on and you want me to feel it in a new space. Are you crazy? And when I took the step to get sober and, you know, now almost, oh my gosh, almost 14 years later, it's the, it's the best it was the best journey, but it was the hardest journey because, I mean, there were times, Linda, and I'm sure for you, where I would just be on the side of the road, breaking down and crying, not understanding what was going on because I was trying to process years, years of pain, years of what am I running from? And it sounds like you and I really are very similar here. Would you not agree with that? Yeah, definitely. You know, the one thing I came to realize uh, through working with my life coach is that those tears are the clearing and those tears actually lead to, you know, the, the brighter day, right? The sunshine mm. that I am today. Ooh, that's like this good. all started from like the, the name sunshine. And um, I, I had to go through all of that. Those just yeah, crying, you know, pulling it, pulling over to the side of the road because I was crying in my car. Um, you know, sometimes like randomly tears would show up. I didn't want to talk about my childhood because it just brought so much pain to me, but I needed to go through that. So I'll share just, I'm just, I'm going to yeah, tell teaser that here. story. Go ahead yeah, and tell that no, part share it. and then we'll yeah. circle back around because it is so important to it's who impactful. you are today. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. My, my dad, you know, I literally, literally saw him as a monster my whole life. When I would mm. look at him. I visually saw a monster. 
He had this furrowed brow and like these really deep, you know, cut, um, you know, what do you call it? Lines on his forehead. And then his, um, whatever this called the bridge of the nose, you know, and he just always like looks so angry. And I literally. scowling look. Yeah, scowling. Yeah, that's the word. Thanks. (laughs) And I saw him as a monster my whole life. Now, when I talked about my mom and dad, you know, together for 55 years, my mom put up with that abuse and my dad went into the hospital on a Thursday evening. He had had a pacemaker put in about three years prior and he went into the hospital Thursday evening because his heart was, you know, he wasn't feeling good. And uh, Friday at about noon or so, he took his last breath. So he walked in the hospital and he had had 86 heart attacks. His pacemaker kicked in 86 times. So when my husband and I got to the hospital and we saw what, saw what was going on, because my mom didn't, didn't tell us he was in the hospital until Friday. We show up at the hospital, I'm like 86, I mean, 86 heart attacks. Come on, mom, you got to You got to tell the doctor to turn off his pacemaker, let him go. She couldn't oh, make a decision. Gosh. And what I realized is because my, my mom had been a battered spouse for 55 years Every decision my mom made, according to my dad, was the wrong decision. Mm. My mom didn't want to make a decision because she knew it would be the wrong decision. So she just told me, she goes, you tell them. So I went and I told them to turn off the pacemaker. Now we're in the hospital room and the whole family is there, but we're all at the periphery. We're all standing around like along the, the edges of the room at the wall. Nobody's standing at his bedside. And so the doctor pronounces his, him dead. And I'm standing right next to my mom. My husband's on the other side. And my mom said, thank God the bastard is dead. Those were her first words. Wow. Imagine 55 wow. years of living that life. But it's because she was so scared to, to leave, so scared to try something different. Well, and that's I part of the manipulation of an abuser. They like you. Mm-hmm. They 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 yeah. groom you to yeah. think you cannot leave. You cannot be without them. Yeah. Now, a gaslighter. A gaslighter. How did yeah. you feel at that moment? Oh my gosh! I just was like, I knew that you hated him, but I didn't know you hated him this much. Mm. At you this know, point, I, did mm, you? Hate my mom him? was silent. Oh yeah. Oh, I hated my dad. I oh, so, so okay. Well, fast forward a little bit after I worked with my life coach, which was in 2014. My dad passed away in 20, 2008. So six years after my dad passed away, I started working with my life coach, and she had me go through these exercises where you gotta forgive. You know, you gotta forgive your dad. I'm like, I don't want to forgive my dad. I am never gonna <laughs> forgive my dad. Right. Well, about a year and a half ago, so this is after, you know, more than a decade after my dad passed away, I decided, I made a decision. I'm going to forgive my dad. And so I went on a forgiveness and gratitude, completely Mm. different, forgiveness and gratitude journey. And so what I did for a hundred days in a row is I would come up with a story from my childhood, something that my dad did that really just made me angry and hate him. And I would tell the story, this to myself, and then I would say, I forgive you, dad. And then I would turn it around and I would say, you know what? I'm actually grateful for that moment in my life because what you taught me during that moment was to have more respect in this area or less, you know, watch out for people who do this a hundred days in a row, forgiveness and gratitude. So by the end of the hundred days, I no longer see my dad as a monster. Can, can we just pause here? Yeah. That, that, I just have to say, Linda, that is the true essence of forgiveness. 
the true essence that you were ready to make that decision, that you walked in it and said, I forgive you. And then you were grateful for the moment, whether it be that it was, you taught me what not to do in that, or you taught me what to do and you pulled out the goodness of that. And that's where I think like out of ashes arises beauty because you were able to really say with your whole heart, I forgive you. Yeah. Wow. Linda, like I'm over here, like, woo. And to do that for a hundred days, you, you created a practice. So is this something that you practice daily now when, you know, you're, maybe you're feeling a little bit like some kind of way resentful towards, towards people? Is this a practice that you put into play for your life? It's an interesting question because I don't feel that way towards people. Mm. And I used to, but it's, Mm. I think it's because of all the, I've done a lot of work on myself the last several years. Um, and it's really about me being in a place of myself. You know, it's, I don't feel that way towards other people. I will take that back. There's one person in my life that I still feel that way. And I just haven't brought myself to that point of saying, I forgive yet because the pain is even deeper than the pain that my dad caused. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. But we have to be ready. We have to be ready. Well, I'm going like, to back you know, up to that pain your dad caused because I want people to understand he was not only yeah. abusive mm-hmm. to your mother, he was abusive to you physically, emotionally. Do you want to talk Not about that at all? But emotionally and mentally, big time. And a lot of it, though, I'd say as I look back on it, realistically speaking, the majority of it was the pain that I witnessed that my mom experienced. Mom. Because my mom was an enabler. My dad was you know, an, an alcoholic. My mom was an enabler. So I learned both sides of the coin, mm. right? And, mm. and I became that enabler. You know, My first husband was just like my dad. A lot of us married mm. the first, like, wow, our, you know, like yes. our spouse. And he was just like, but fortunately, I learned while observing my mom that I was like, I'm not going to live this life. And so I left my uh, first husband after two years and two kids. I had a four month old, I had a 14 month old and a four week old. And I walked out on him. Wow. I'm like, I am not living that Whoa. way. Wow. Yeah. But now there four was something about, old, I know when we chatted about a chair. And your father? Oh, yeah. That's why yeah, I thought dad, it was, he was physically abusive. So you're saying up until that point. Well, the chair didn't hit me, so. So <laughs> so we don't we don't deem it as physical abuse. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I was 16, and I was a little bit mouthy at 16. Who is it? My dad stopped drinking. Yeah. So my dad stopped drinking at age, when I was 16. He was 30-something. And he stopped drinking. And um, what I realized is that he was still an asshole. Yeah. Oh, really? You asked me earlier if I swear, well, and I, I don't normally uh, no, We welcome it. <laughs> we just here. brought it out I'm of just you. Just kidding. So <laughs> he was still, well, you know, quote unquote, mean. Well, and and here's here's what I'll say about that. Just because I come from a background of being an alcoholic, right? Just because you stop drinking doesn't mean that you're fully and completely healed. You're just white knuckling it until y- you can't bear it any longer. So. You know, that's why we usually end up back in hospitals or in jails or dead. You know, like that's that's really the reality when you're not ready to take those steps, whatever those steps are for you. 
you know. Yeah. And I want to share something on that, Christina, because I came from the other side, right? I was the child yeah. of, of the alcoholic. And my dad went through to AA. He was remanded by the court to go to AA for a year in order to get his license back. And mm-hmm. he did that. And, you know, he had to move away from us because his job was he couldn't drive, you know, so he had to move close to his job. And that, that was like the best year of my life because my dad was gone. But um, it was many years, maybe two years into his AA, you know, uh, program that he came and did like there's a you're supposed to do uh, amends, right? Amends. Give amends mm-hmm. to those that you have hurt along the journey yep. or something like yep. that. And yes. so my, I'm 16 or 17 at that time. And my dad comes to me and he makes amends. Now I'm 17 and he makes amends and he walks away from the conversation. And I'm like, he didn't do that step. What a hypocrite. Like, this is my 17 year old brain is thinking, what a hypocrite. He didn't, you know, get my forgiveness. And so it wasn't until decades later that I That's realized it. as I was going through my own journey, that, that my dad's job wasn't to get forgiveness from me. It was for him That's to right. get forgiveness with himself. That's right. And I'm like, wow, he actually did make amends. And it took all these years for me to realize that my dad did make amends. It wasn't about me. It was about him. And that was such a beautiful moment for me to say, oh my gosh, he actually did do it. Good for him. Good for him. He was on the journey. I just didn't see it because I was not seeing, all I saw was a monster. Well, because you were in so much pain, you were blinded by your pain and your hurt and what a gift that you were able to step out of that because, you know, what I see is that there was a, there was a pattern, right. And that pattern fueled your, your hatred within other areas, like that almost kind of like a, a webbing is what I see, you know, and then you were able to say no more, no more. I'm going to take that thought captive. I'm going to change myself and, you know, we're going to, we're going to work on this. Yeah. And now you're able to see those great fruits. Oh my gosh, Linda. I'm like, girl, <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's changed it's my whole life. It, it, that yeah. you, we see so many people dip their toe in the pond of change. Mm, and I want to get yeah. more into that, but I, I do want to back up to, you know, you're coming out of this incredibly volatile situation And so you've had all this trauma because even if he wasn't physically abusive to you, to witness someone else that you love, Mm -hmm. you know, just abused over and over is very traumatic for children. And, you know, when there's an alcoholic in the home and there's abuse, the entire environment is chaotic. There's no normalcy. There's a lot of shame. You can't have children home from school. It it interrupts any kind of normative childhood pattern. So... Well, and friends over at the house too, right? Yeah, that's and what I, that's what I mean those, by that. Those relationships. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can't. Mm. I didn't even think about that, Gail. I didn't have friends over at the house. I was so embarrassed. I didn't like. I went to everybody else's house. Yeah. My parents didn't even meet my high school boyfriend. Um, you know, I just was so embarrassed by everything. Uh, I ran away at five, right? And I was gone a week. I mean, that was when my patterns of running away started. And that was the, that was the, like, who runs away at five and has gone a week? Somebody who realizes that this is not an environment I should be in. <laughs> well, tell us I more about that, that story because you, uh, you, I've heard you tell the story before and you ran away and what, where did you go? What did your parents think? 
Well, I, I just ran away to the neighbor's house. But at five years old, for all intents and purposes, I was gone forever. You know, in my mind, I was mm. I was leaving. I was going to go move in with somebody else. If they moved, I would have moved with them. You know, like, <laughs> like I, I was out of there. I was out of there. And so here's what I didn't know at the time. And this is a really important piece for me to have made this realization. What I didn't know at the time is my mom knew where I was. But at five mm. years old, I run away and nobody comes to get me. So what happened is that five-year-old mm. little brain locked in tight. They didn't come to get me. They don't want me around. They don't love me. So as I- I'm went, not important. I'm, yeah. I'm, yeah. I don't have any value. I'm not important. Like I'm, I'm number four of five kids. Like, oh, they don't need another, you know, they, they're, they're fine without me. Wow. And then to top that off, my siblings made fun of me. You know, and as I got older, I got made fun of at school. I had no boobs. You know, I have this, my, my siblings always said I had a ski slope nose and which I don't, I have a fine nose. No, it's, it's a, a great fine nose. nose. Exactly. Yeah. So, ah. so I, but I was named all these, had all these nicknames, Buddha. Like I had all these, you know, bullying, right. Is what it was, what it is today. Um, just being picked on and um, <clears throat> all of those things locked in tight with me of my value of myself starting at age five. And Linda, mm. it sounds like there was nobody you could trust because even though you loved your mother, if you see her staying in this situation, could you, did you feel like you could fully trust her? I couldn't go to her. I didn't feel like I could go to her with anything. Now I might've been able mm. to, but I never really knew my mom. You know, I just, I, I was so closed, closed off to getting to know, uh, especially my family. I did have some close friends, but I never got to know my family and my uh -huh. friends' families were the same as mine. Abusive. The fathers, you know, really, you know, I, mean, I would witness the abuse over at their wow. houses. Well, well, isn't it true though? Like you attract what you are, Gail. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if, if you have that kind of, um, thing within, within you, you're going to attract those same like-minded people. Wow. So I, I didn't me, know that. I, and I'm wondering, I, what do you do with all oh, that trauma? Know. Yeah. Well, you bottle it up and you don't mm. trust. You don't, you know, you just, it's, it's hard to see. And the best way I can explain it is I didn't know I was in trauma. You know, when you're going through something in life, right. you're going through it and you're just doing one day at a time. You don't know you're experiencing a traumatic experience, you know, for yeah. so many years. And I didn't know that until... I met my life coach and she helped me out of the darkness and into the light because mm. it was through her guidance that like, I saw that little, that little hole of light up there. And then as I worked with her, it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And then the darkness is now, I don't want to say it's completely gone. You know, it still shows up every once in a while, but now when darkness shows up, I, I nip it in the bud immediately. I don't yeah. carry that stuff around anymore. And it's just mm. changed the way I show up for everything I do. Now what I do is like when, you, when I'm in, a, in an experience, I like to call them experiences, <laughs> right? When, when I'm experiencing something that's not going my way or something that's challenging or something that's hard or something that is really making me angry or what have you, I will actually stop in the middle. And now what I do is I say, what am I learning right now? Instead of mm. looking back decades later, no, I'm like, what am I learning right now? 
Because what that does is that brings me back into a state of mind of reality. And then I can say, this is what I'm supposed to be learning. And then I just change my course correction and I immediately move into a positive state of mind. And it's fast. But I have to realize I'm experiencing that situation so that I can change it. And I hear you refer to carrying your trauma around. I I imagine almost like a suitcase. (laughs) Yeah. Is that the way you saw it? Really, really heavy. Really, really heavy. Yeah. Because emotions, um, you know, there's that saying as kids, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Completely opposite. You know, sticks and bones will break my bones and they will heal. But those words can penetrate and can affect your life, your entire life, if you allow them to. And that's what I did is I allowed all these different things to affect my life in a bad way, adversely affect, because we have good effect and we have bad effect. I let them adversely affect my life and I was guarded. You know, why did I have 49 jobs? You know, there were just, (laughs) there were so many things that I hated. I hated, Mm. I was filled with hate about certain Mm. things. I used to talk bad about my bosses, about the employees, just all this negative energy that I carried around everywhere I went, like pig pen filled with that dirt. (laughs) And what changed that? Yeah, what changed it? And then I want to know what happened with mom, you know, was there any healing there too, because of the, you know, what you saw? Yeah. Well, what changed? I'll first address um, mom. And so after mom passed away, dad passed away. And then three years later, mom ended up passing away. Mm-hmm. And I never um, had a great relationship with my mom, like a loving, like I hear people talking about their mothers and all this. And I'm like, I'm so happy for them because I never had that. And my mom lived with my husband and I the last three years of her life because she had cancer. And then we were helping her, you know, through her mm-hmm. last three years of life. And I still never created a relationship with my mother. I just never had that. And um, after she passed, it was years after she passed when I worked with that life coach. And again, you, you need to forgive your mom, you know, because it was forgive your mom for being the enabler, for teaching you how to become an enabler, for teaching you how to become a people pleaser, like all these things that I blamed my mom for. Right. And so it was working with my life coach that I was able to go on that forgiveness journey of my mom. Now, my mom, the gratitude, I didn't have to go through that with her because she was so much easier to forgive than my dad. My mom's, Mm. my mom's forgiveness was, was almost instant because I realized that she just was not as strong of a woman as she wanted to be. And Mm. I told my life coach this, I said, you know, I just, my mom, she's just so weak and blah, blah, blah. And I said all these things about my mom. And she said, what if your mom is actually strong because she was able to stay with him because she was Whoa. able to put up with that. And I was like, Whoa, exactly. Mind Whoa. blown. So I started immediately flipping the way I saw my mom. That was easy because look how strong she was to put up with that. Yeah. She kept this family together. None of us became drug addicts. None of us became alcoholics, alcoholics. None of us were imprisoned. Like my uncle's mm-hmm. entire family was all imprisoned. So my mom is what kept us together as a family, mm, family unit. That's so beautiful. Yeah. So wow. that right my, there. I'm just like, like mouth hanging open. Yeah. So y- you have all that trauma. You carry the trauma around like a big old trunk with you everywhere you go, yeah. tethered to your ankle. Mm-hmm. 
What makes that change? What do you think? Because I know you saw that ad that day, but this had to be simmering inside you. What mm. did you become tired of it? Did you was it weighing on you? Had you given it thought? What happened that brought you to this point that you're willing to make a change? I guess it was that snapping point, right? Where, you know, I had always been angry. I had always been filled with hate. And like, I'm, I'm with my husband, my current husband, we've been together 33 years. Absolutely adore the guy. I mean, it's congratulations. Thank you. An amazing relationship from day one. Hmm. And about two years into it, I'm like, okay, when's he going to leave me? When is this going to end? You know, that's like, I was always looking for that shoe to drop because that had always happened in my life. But here we are 33 years later, we're still together. We have lots of ups and downs, but we're still together and we love each other, you know, more and more every day. And it's really incredible. I didn't think I deserved that. Right. So when I was driving to work that day Mm -hmm. and I was just looking like, what is this all about? Why am I even here? I have no value. I had love in my household that I didn't think I deserved, but it was something Mm. about that. Just that day that I just snapped is like, there's gotta be something different. There's gotta be a purpose for me. Like, why am I even here? You know? And so it was just that snap. And there's another saying, they say, you know, when uh, I think it's Confucius, I'm not, I always get the people I quote wrong, but that's okay. At least you get the quote, right? (laughs) (laughs) When the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Appear. Now there's teachers in our lives all the time. Like they're always here. Google is there for us as a teacher, but I was just Mm. not ready until that day that I was driving to work that day that I saw that message, there was something open about me or was it that I was open or was that I was so filled with anger that I knew that something had to change. And that's where I was. You know, as you say that, I'm seeing this picture of that we can either be open, we can open our hands, palms up, or sometimes life, God, whatever, is going to crack you open. But either way, (laughs) there's going to be an opening. And it sounds like you were just, you know, cracked open in a way that you couldn't deny that this has to stop. And uh, you know, it's interesting you say that, Gail, because the wow. visual that I got about, you know, being cracked open, like you think about a, a, an egg, egg, you know, you, you just tap it a little bit and then you peel it nice and slowly because mm-hmm. you don't want to ruin And that was not me. It was literally <laughs> not the hard boiled egg. It was the soft boiled egg or, or the, un, the uncooked, the egg, the uncooked that egg you, yeah. that you just They're cracked off. that thing. And <laughs> I just spewed all over the place, literally. It started that day. It was incredible because what happened was I just opened up and I, and I, I just like, I'm here. Let's go. Mm. I don't know what's going to happen and I'm scared, but I'm here and I'm open to Mm. it, whatever it is. And it started that day. And I was changing so fast that people would even say to me, you're different this week than you were last week because I completely like just completely open myself to all change. I remember the day I said, I am open to all criticism from this point forward. Boy, did I get tested. <laughs> I, I'm not there. Be Linda. careful. I, be careful. <laughs> I am, just to be clear for all our, I am not there. So don't bring it. Christina, I, 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 gosh, that just threw me completely off. I'm still back on the crack dag and the, 
and the criticism <laughs> that, oh, yeah, go ahead, Christina. My thought will come back to me. Well, I, I just, I have to say, like, this is so powerful, you know, that you were able to really download and have that much, like, it, you were, it was a divine moment that you were ready. I, I always call those things, those, that spiritual experience that you have. And it's like, the heavens open, the light shines on you. And you're like, I'm going for it. I no longer want to be in pain. I no longer want to f- be filled with anger. And there were some practices that you started to do as well, right? Can you Well, and you triggered what about- I was going to say. Yeah. Let, let me, let me, let me put this in here. Cause I think it matters <laughs> and where women are Yeah, because you had your alcoholism. I had a terrible marriage. Linda had all this. I think there's a point for us women and I want women out there to hear this. We don't know what the next thing is for many of us mm. who have stepped out of really mm. bad situations. What we knew is that we couldn't do that anymore. Yeah. And yep. Some of you are waiting for the next step or the answer. And what some of you just need to stop doing or get out of or move from or whatever is going on. And the next steps will become clear or, or it may take a while for them to become clear, but when the pain Mm. and the trauma and the heaviness of where you are gets great enough, you will move even if you think the next step could be off a cliff. Because I knew at a certain point, I just needed that to stop. And I was willing to say, okay, I may go broke. I may live the rest of my life alone. I may do all these things, but I am not going to do this anymore. And I think all three of us have experienced that. And so, yeah, it's, it's that, it's that, um, saying when the pain of, staying the same is worse than the pain of change or something like that. You know what I'm talking yeah, about? Gail? Yeah. And so if you're out there and you're living in incredible pain, just know the next step may not be clear or where the, let's say where the next step is going. The step needs to be your foot moving to a new space on the earth or a new program, a new person, a new direction. You may not know where that's going because Linda, I'm sure that day you said you didn't even know what this meant or what you were signing up for. You just said, I'm doing that because at least it's not this. Is that, yeah. is that accurate? Maybe, yeah. What you said there reminded me of that day that I decided to walk out on my ex-husband. You know, I had a four week old and a 14 month old. I put one over my, um, like I put a diaper bag over one shoulder, my purse over the other shoulder, a child on a hip. And a child mm-hmm. in a baby carry case. And I literally walked out because I realized I was not going to repeat my mom's life. That was it, right? That was that that head over the um, hit over the head that I needed to get me out of there. And I never went back. Like my mom went back and back and back. She we, we ran away. I don't even know how many times, but we always went really? back. Really? She just couldn't yeah. break it. See, I never wanted to go yeah. back. And there's been a lot of healing there. I'm on good terms there, but I had never any taste to go back. I mean, I think a lot of us, Tina Turner did. We grabbed $3 and headed out of that cab, you know, just not, not this girl. This girl was like, I'll go back. You did. But because I didn't know my worth, you know, Uh, and I was very young with my son's father. Yeah. I mean, we would... I mean, fight, fight. And I just thought that that was what I was worth. Mm. You know, so many of us women matter. We are impacted Mm -hmm. by 
the worth that the label mm-hmm. of worth that we've been given by other people. And if we could raise yeah. our daughters to know their worth, I think it we would change a lot of things. That's absolutely right. Belinda, you yeah. realized it sounds like that you needed help. You didn't say, okay, I'm going to change this today. I'm going to blah, blah, blah. You, the fact that you reached out for help, because a lot of times people that are in extreme pain and have built all these walls around them, asking for help is one of the hardest things to do. But somehow you yeah. realized that you couldn't do this on your own. Well, I wonder, because that's an interesting thought that you just brought to me, because I don't know that that was really the case in this particular instance. I just think that, that there was somebody spoke to me. Mm. I didn't, I didn't go asking, I I wasn't searching for help. Right. Mm. There's a difference, right? I wasn't out there like Googling. I need help. I need help. You know, asking. (laughs) It was a post I saw. I mean, was it random? Probably not. The universe was But wasn't there something inside you that knew you needed when you, you know, sometimes we don't know we need something until we see it. Then when you saw it, did you realize you needed something other than yourself? Yeah, because yeah, cause my, my thing was that um, I don't know who this is, but I want to change. Mm. And I must have in, intuitively known that I couldn't do it myself. You mm. know, I had read a lot of self-help books, but I didn't become like I wasn't living the self-help journey. I just read books. I have a few of those books on the shelf um, (laughs) that you're in crisp and new condition. (laughs) You know, I, I, I I think if order, if I ordered them off Amazon or audible, that that fixes the problem. (laughs) Apparently you have to read them or something. What's up with that? You know? Yeah, exactly. I hear you. Okay. You know, what's interesting is as I started the journey and I started, then I started actually reading the self-help books and diving in and making notes and, and um, actually living it. And that's, what changed for me so fast is I literally within that five months period of time of working with my life coach, I was a completely different person. People in my life started kind of falling off those negative people, because like, you know, Christina said, right, we attract more of what we are. So if, if I, I, I love this saying when people are like, Oh, I, I love like-minded people. Well, I don't know what your like-mind is. So I don't know if I'm your people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Some of us need, need to, to get away from is. the like-minded people. Yeah. You know, that's so interesting <laughs> exactly. you say that because I think we spend, you talked about doing the work. A lot of times we spend all our time and resources and energy trying to fix other people and trying to get them mm. to change rather than yeah. doing the work on ourselves. And sometimes I think that's easier and less painful than turning that spotlight, you know, realizing we're part of the Inward. problem because even <laughs> like even if you're in a marriage with someone who's abusing you, you are somehow accepting that and taking that and yeah. putting up with that and you know, I had to examine why I made the choice to be in the marriage I was in. And it's like you, that's what I thought my worth was. That's, that's how mm-hmm. pretty desirable and available, in the, you know, my number on the market, that's what I thought I deserved or where I was. Now I didn't think I deserved what came to be, but there were red flags already. And someone with more yeah. confidence and more self-esteem would have not gotten into that situation. But, you know, I did. And here we are. And, you know, I was, it was just very hard, but I had to realize some things about myself. And I think it always starts there. No matter what someone else is doing to you, your real change is going to come not from them changing, 
but from you changing. Is that, do you think that's fair to say? Is that true? I'll give a, a great example. I, I, I totally agree with that. Yes. Um, a great example. My husband and I, 33 years together, right? Ups and downs, learning how to communicate with each other, talking about money and getting stressed out and, and not understanding each other, trying to make sense of each other's way of communicating because that you know, communication is the number one key for a successful marriage. And so about only about six months ago, I was sitting at my desk working and he came by and he said something. I don't remember what he said, but like Maya Angelou says, we don't remember what they say, but remember how they, they how they make yeah. us feel, right? Yeah. And so here's the thing. My husband said something and I was like, you know, that's like, just like angry about it. And then about a minute later, so here's the difference in who I've become. About a minute later, I sat there and I said to myself, I don't think that's what he meant. I think I took mm. it that way. So I stood up, I walked over to him and I said, hey, when you just said such and such, did you mean this? And he's like, heck no. Like, where would you get that from? I and love I that said, you didn't That's... sit in it. Because when we sit in it, it festers. Right. We make up all kinds of stories. Yeah. Yep. And so we give it meaning. I gave meaning to what he said and, and a completely opposite meaning of what he meant. And so yeah. uh, I'll, I'll share this one story. Um, it was a couple of years ago. I, I've been in business since uh, 2015. When I left my corporate job, I left working for that judge. And you know, I started my own business and we ended up selling our house so that I could follow my entrepreneurial journey. The house had been in my family since I was two years old. But you know, wow. I grew up in that house and it didn't have any positive you know, connection. I didn't have any positive connections to it. So we sold the house. I go on this entrepreneurial journey. And I'm doing all these different things. And I, I start getting approved from some credit cards. Awesome. And more and more credit cards. Next thing you know, next thing six years later, um, my cards are charged up so high that I can't pay them. And so mm. I have to file bankruptcy. This was like mm. two years ago. So I was so stressed about this. And I didn't want to tell him. I didn't want to tell him to the point. We're happy marriage, right? I didn't want to tell him to the point that I was like, I think I'll just divorce him instead of tell him that I have to file bankruptcy. That's where my wow. mind was, you know, because I was so stressed out about it. So finally I said, yeah. that's ridiculous, Linda. Don't divorce him because just, just tell him. So I sat down with him. I, I, the morning I said, um, I need to talk to you about something. And he's like, okay, we'll talk later tonight. So we sit down at the table. I break out the Bible and I'm not like a, I, 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 I'm a believer, but I'm not like a Bible thumper, you know? So yeah. I broke out the Bible and I put it on the center of the table and I said, let us pray. And he's like, what's going on here? <laughs> I, I have never said that before. But I, I tell you what, this would, could not have been orchestrated more perfectly. What happened? Mm. I didn't plan this. This is just what came out. So I, I like, let us play, pray. And he goes, okay. I said, Lord, please let the words that come out of my mouth land in his ears the way I intended them to. Mm -hmm. Because so often he wouldn't understand what I was talking about, about things, or he would get mm -hmm. you know, a little like upset. Right. So I said, I have to file bankruptcy. And he said, Oh my God, is that all? I thought you were having an affair. You've been so secretive about things. I thought you were going to leave me. Oh, he goes, let's fix it. And that was it. I was so stressed for about a year about that. Wow. 
My point there is that the way we communicate with people, they don't always understand what we're saying because they're coming from their own perspective. Perspective, yeah. So how can we create a conversation that they can hear us? We have to let them know. Right now, honey, I don't need you to fix anything. I just have something I want to tell you. Yeah. I just need to vent a little. You don't need to, because fi- men always want to fix our problems. Oh, mm-hmm. Yes. My husband is known for that. Most <laughs> men are. And they that, that's right. And yeah. so we just yeah. let, need to let them know, you know what this, I just have something I want to talk about and I don't need you to fix anything for me today. I just need you to hear me. That's all. But we got to let them know. Otherwise they're going to try mm-hmm. to fix us. That's their go-to. Right. So. Well, our, our. Uh, Gail and I, what we have come up with is, is that in communicating is that for women, we just need to say, we we need to say what we want or what we need instead of assuming that people know what we want or what we need. Now it is in your delivery of how do you deliver that? And are you delivering it in love? Are you delivering it in anger? You know, like, where is it coming from? Like you were saying, and that is really how it will land. Um, But we're really big advocates about that. We, we just believe that if you don't say anything or you assume that they know, then that's really kind of like you got to do the work because that's people just don't know. They just don't know what is going on in your brain. I love that, Linda. It's really, wow. it's really important. And it, um, I read the the five love languages and mm-hmm. I had my husband take the test with me and, and I was surprised he actually did it because it's lengthy, you know, but we did the <laughs> love languages. And I got to tell you that really helped to flip the way we see each other and the way we work with each other, because like I grew up in an environment, my dad, every time he would get angry or abusive, he would make up by buying stuff. Oh, gifts. Mm -hmm. Right. So that was probably my dad's love language, but my love language gifts is at the very bottom. Like that's my Mm -hmm. fifth. I don't even care about gifts at all. And I never Mm -hmm. have. And so for me, it was, is words of affirmation. I needed my dad to give words of affirmation that everything was going to be okay that he does love me. I never heard the words, I love you from either parent. So imagine the first time I said, I love you to somebody, it was freaking scary because I didn't know what that really meant, you know? So we could go all kinds of ways with this conversation. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Gail's over there just trying to, she's like, (sighs) there's so much here. I'm looking at her face and she's just like, Every time we talk to Linda, we hear more and more. I mean, it just gets deeper and deeper and richer and richer. I, I want to talk about we fear. Mean, we haven't touched on my year of fear. Yeah, right? I want to talk about know, your year of fear because that is one of the most impressive things. And I love actionable. And we here on Midlife Moxie really try to give our audience actionable things. You know, when they relate to a guest and a guest story, okay, then what are you going to do about it? We want them to to finish listening to this podcast and be able to take some kind of action. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you grew up because to look at you now and when I talk to you, the last thing that comes out of your mouth is any kind of fear. I mean, I'm not, I don't think I'm an easily intimidated person, but like when I first met you, you were intimidating. You were, you, because of your, I hope in a good way, in a good way, in a man, <laughs> she is a freaking boss. I mean, she does not stutter when she speaks. Let me just tell you, not me, not arrogant. It's not that, but a 
true abiding confidence. And mm-hmm. I think that's what mm-hmm. we need more of. It's not arrogance and baloney mm-hmm. and faux personas, just a true confidence in who you are. And that's reflective of the work you've done. And one of your, the parts of your work was this year of fear. And when you shared this with me, I was just like, I, a year? Was it a year or a hundred days? <laughs> 365 days. So we've done a hundred yeah, days of forgiveness. Now we're going to do a whole year of fear. I mean, can we just stop and she acknowledge just, us some just... freaking work? I mean, and that's commitment. Like, it's not like me. I bought the self-help book and read the first chapter and felt like I had it. This is complete follow through. So tell us, just start where you were fear wise. All of that. What led to this? Yeah, start start with what led to your 365 days of fear. What what led you into that? Okay, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I this was instrumental, instrumental in my growth that year. Every single day, mm. I would wake up in the morning and I would ask myself a simple question, three words every single day before I got out of bed. I wake up and I would just ask myself, what scares me? And then I would lay in bed and wait until a fear popped into my head. Whatever that fear, my commitment was whatever that fear was, I had to break through it that day. I know some of you are thinking that bought you some extra time in the bed, but for a lot of us, we can think of (laughs) something to be afraid of in two seconds or something to worry about. So I wouldn't have gotten any extra rest like this. It would have been up there's today's. How was it for you? Did it? Did it take long each yeah, so, day or it just, boom, there it is. Sometimes it was instant, you know, and sometimes it was 10, 15 minutes, but I would just lay there and wait. And, you know, because as I, as you go through it, you know, you're on day 100, day 150, day, you know, the fears are, you know, sometimes Dissipating, sparser yeah. in between. Okay, got Yeah. You. And, and so it's, it's interesting because what's, why did I do that? Why does somebody break through 365 fears in a row? Well, this was right after working with my life coach. So I started working with my life coach, August of 2014. I worked with her for five months through the end of November. The end of November is when I gave my notice at my job and I quit working for that judge. And I'm starting this journey called entrepreneurship. I had no idea what I'm going to do, who I'm going to serve, how I'm going to make any money. But I knew, like you mentioned earlier, Gail, I knew what I was no longer going to do. I was no longer going to work for somebody who doesn't appreciate me because that's my number one love language. (laughs) So I worked with her for five months. I changed drastically positive changes happening all over the place. I'm meeting some really cool people, nice people, people who really, you know, like my company. My first husband used to, on a daily basis, he would just yell at me. You're so stupid. You're so ignorant. People are only nice to you because they feel sorry for you. So I believed that about myself. So as I'm working with my life coach, that stuff is getting chipped away. And I'm starting to see that I do have value, that I do have brilliance, that I am a smart person, that I am wise, that I have a lot of value to offer. It was the start of it, though. I'm just beginning, right? Beginning this belief in myself. So December of 2014, I don't have a life coach. I'm by myself. I don't have somebody helping me anymore. Mm. And so I didn't change as fast. And I had gotten so addicted to that positive change. I had gotten so addicted to becoming a positive person and learning about myself that I wanted to keep going. I think that's an interesting point. 
because the more we do the work and the better we get, the better we desire to be. And you can become yes. a self, I'm, I'm kind of a self-improvement junkie. Now I'm, for those of you yeah. that want to write into the show, I am aware <laughs> that from the neck down, I've got a lot of improvement to do and that's on the radar. It's just not there yet. So stop with your writing. She, she's going to have a spiritual experience with that. But I, that's, yeah. that's So nobody happen. gave you this idea though. You didn't read this in no. a book. Nobody, you didn't hear this. No. Wow. Just, this was just inspired. Yeah, what you entered you. into. Yeah, this is exactly. so good. So when I woke up that morning, though, January 1st, you know, I don't do New Year's resolutions because I've broken every single one I've ever done. Who has And so what I did is I decided to do a New Year's commitment. Mm-hmm. I just changed, mm. just changed the language. I made a commitment. And I, I was like, you know what? I love that change that I've had. And I've got so many fears. I'm going to break through a fear every day this year. Yeah. Let's see what happens. I don't know. Now, now, when you were doing this, did your fears duplicate? Like, you know, because I know sometimes, at least for me, I'm I'm going in this direction and I'm feeling really good. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, that popped up again. What is that about? Hmm. Yeah. So that, did you did you have those those days as well? Definitely. Yeah, they happened. Um, so they would show they would show up in different situations. So for example, one of them that I remember the most because it was just really odd. um, The fear was that morning, what scares me? To talk to a stranger in Starbucks. <laughs> that It was so specific. And so that fear to that day, I had to go talk to a stranger in a Starbucks. And I did, you know, I, I showed up at Starbucks and I waited for a stranger because it wasn't a group of strangers. I was very literal and it was a stranger. I saw this guy walk in he sat down and I walked over to him. I was like, there's my victim. (laughs) 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 So I walked over to him and I said, excuse me, sir. You know, I'm breaking through a fear every day this year. And today's fear is to talk to a stranger in Starbucks. So do you mind if I have a seat? And he's like, sure. Okay. Like what a weirdo. And I sat down, talked to him for about five minutes I stood up, I thanked him for his time and I walked out and I literally felt like throwing up. I didn't, but I felt like my stomach was going crazy just because I talked to a stranger. So now for some people, they might be saying, what's, what's so wrong with that? I go, oh, how hard is that? Why did you have such a challenge with that? Well, my first husband told me I was stupid and ignorant on a daily basis. And I believed yeah. him, even though my current husband tells me I'm brilliant. I don't believe him, right? I got to believe all the negative that I had heard all those years. And Mm. so for me to walk up to a stranger meant I might say something stupid. He might see how Mm. ignorant and stupid I am. And so for me, those fears that popped up, the vast majority, I want to say probably 95% of the fears that entire year were based around the fear of judgment. Wow. Mm. What are they going to think about me? There's a saying that um, more people are scared of speaking on stage than they are of dying. And I'm here to See, say that for me, oh. I just like cannot wait till somebody gives me a microphone. I, I know, really. love it. <laughs> like I'm more upset if I don't get asked to speak. So, uh, it, but that brings me to the point. Fear is very personal. Fear can be very irrational. Yes. And this was about your journey of your fears. And we all have them and they all look different. It has nothing to do with the value of the fear or what anyone else thinks about the fears. So let's just be clear about that. If it's yeah. if it's a fear for you, it's something to be dealt with and it's something to be acknowledged and worked on. So uh, I want to back up and be clear about what the procedure was. So you woke up in the morning, you identified a fear, and then what? 
And then I had to do that fear, break through that fear, whatever it was. In what kind of time frame? That day. That day. You had to take action that day. That day. On that Mm -hmm. specific. That's the scariest part to me. Before midnight. Because I can think about all these things I'm going to do eventually, but to know I would have had anxiety going to bed at night of what I was going to have to do tomorrow. That's the thing. This is amazing. Well, I didn't know. I didn't know what the fear was going to be that next day. No, but it could have yeah, been something crazy. I go to sleep. It could have been touching a snake. I, go, it, I know it could have been, but it wasn't. They that would so be for me. Rooted in that fear of judgment. That's the thing. So mm. I want to give your audience something to take away. Okay. Because you, you mentioned that. Yes. So I want to give them something to take away. A couple things here. First of all, is one of the things. I'll share like not the experiences that I had, but the results that I had from the experiences. So one of the Mm. things I realized during this journey, first of all, just like you said, Gail, is that everybody's fears are different and they are personal. So no matter what fear you're experiencing, somebody may say to you, like, why does that scare you? Don't let that bother you because your fear is real. I remember there's a saying, false evidence appearing real, false evidence appearing real. I was brushing my teeth and I was like, that's a bunch of BS because my fears are real. They are as real as can be. There's no false evidence about anything. They are real. They don't appear real. They are real, right? So I went through that and I was like, faith erases anxious reactions. Mm. When my faith is strong, my fear is weak. So when I'm experiencing fear, what I do, one of the things, there's one thing that can help your audience is when you're experiencing a fearful situation, ask yourself this question. How strong is my faith right now? How strong is my faith in myself, in others, and in God, if you believe? Whoever you believe in, that higher power that you believe in. So say it again. Faith faith? Faith 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 erases erases anxious anxious. reactions. Oh, we all Mm. have some anxious reactions. We don't even realize that's where they're coming from. Yeah, we're human. You know, I interviewed a lot of people. This one gentleman I know, he has an IQ of 197. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I know. Crazy, crazy high IQ. And I was like, hey, Walter, do you have any fears? And he said, yes, I have the fear of boredom. So I looked at him and I said, Mm. oh, you're trying to tell me you're bored of me, right? And he goes, yeah, kind (laughs) of. How funny. And I was like, okay, cool. IQ does not mean emotional intelligence. Let's just be clear there. Yeah, very true. Part of your journey has also been, you know, asking yourself about changes on a daily basis. If I talk to us about that and walk us through that process, because I don't want to leave that out. Yeah. And I also want to give another another great um, takeaway that your audience can have of how to break through fear every single time every single time. So I'll give you that in just a minute. But, you know, the thing is that as we get to know who we are and we are on this growth and this journey and we, we decide we want to change again, I got addicted to positivity. I got addicted to being around positive people. So what I did is I started creating that environment that I wanted to be around. And I also started gravitating to those higher minded people. Forget about the like-minded people. I want to hang out with higher minded people because when I hang out with higher minded people, I become a higher minded person because we become who we're hanging out with. Right. And so during this journey, it's like, what is it that you want out of your life? You know that you can change right now, right this moment. You can make a decision to do something different. There was a movie um, with Julia Roberts uh, sleeping with the enemy. And in that movie, she just decided to leave and become a new person. We can do that. We don't have to be running away, but we can decide that I 
don't like who I am right now and I want to be a different person. So we just start saying, what do I want? What As I scroll through Clubhouse, looking at different rooms that are going on, what do I want to hear right now? What do I want to learn right now? What is it that you want out of your life? And you decide right now in this mm. moment and you go after it. You only get one chance at this. Don't get to the end like my mom, two weeks before she died. She said, mm. I've had so many regrets in my life. You go out there and live the rest of your life with no regrets. Mm. Then I had to figure out what does that mean to me? What does no regrets mean to me? Mm. And then start mm. living that life. Yeah. Goodness. Well, you also ask her this, this question that we've talked about before about how something will adversely affect you. Yeah, it's everything has an effect on our life. There's positive, there's negative, and there's neutral. Mm. And so if you're doing something and you know the result that you're going to get is a something negative or an adverse effect, why are you doing it? First of all, why do we allow ourselves to do the things that we know are going to get, have adverse effects on us? So one of the things that I I started doing is as I was Mm. breaking through these fears every single day, I was, I break through a fear and I, I was, I felt sick to my stomach, but the result I had was a positive result. So I felt good about myself. I felt like, you know, maybe I'm getting a little bit more confident here. You know, something was good. A good change happened through breaking through that fear. So I started doing things like now. Now I do things because I'm scared. It's Mm. not in spite of the fear. I hear do it in spite of the fear. No, that's negative. Let's look at the positive. If every time you break through a fear or if 95% of the time that you break through a fear, you get a positive result on the other side Why are you preventing yourself from experiencing that positive result? Go do it Mm -hmm. because you're scared. Because after you break through that fear, you're going to have a positive result. So now I'm like, oh my God, that's fear. I'm going to do it because I'm scared. Mm, Just change your words and change your life. Change your words and change your life. Uh, Linda, you, the way you just took the bull by the horns and made the changes. I know something else you said that you ask yourself this question about, if I, mm-hmm. and you had a blank today, okay. how will this adversely, tell more about that. Cause I wrote that yeah. down and I'm really like, I thought that was just so wise. This is your, your seven, seven simple steps to breaking through fear every single time. So you're experiencing a fearful situation. Let's, I'm going to use an example of being interviewed on a podcast, New <laughs> Life Moxie, right? Because okay. they're crazy so they over there. To me, oh my God, Gail and Christina reached out to me and they want to interview me on their podcast, Midlife Life Moxie. I'm scared. Okay, so mm. we'll use this as, we're going to use this as our But you weren't, we're were you? Life Moxie. No, heck no. Okay, good. <laughs> no, I was like, let's go. You know, you want to interview me 10 times in a week, I'm in. <laughs> yeah. I love it. So, so we'll use this as an example because somebody listening here is listening to Midlife Moxie. So this might be their situation. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of scared um, that, that they've asked me to do this. But here's your question you're going to ask yourself. If I get interviewed by Gail and Christina on Midlife Moxie, will this adversely affect my life one year from today? So it's if I blank, will it adversely 
affect my life one year from today? Whatever that, fill in that blank for yourself, whatever that is. Hopefully you guys, you have pen and paper out and you're writing down a fear, okay? So the key word here is adversely. Because as I mentioned, things will affect our lives, positive, negative, or neutral. So is it going to adversely, negatively affect my life? If your answer is no, of course not. In a year, I'm interviewed by them today. Is it going to adversely affect my life in a year? No, realistically, Mm. no. Now you say, if I get interviewed on Midlife Moxie, will it adversely affect my life six months from today? And then you answer the question, of course not, no. If I'm interviewed on Midlife Moxie, is it going to adversely affect my life one month from today? And you have to ask the full question. The reason, because your brain only understands that you're asking a full question. Mm. And then you have to answer the question. No, it's not going to adversely affect. Then we go through the same exact process. We go to a one week, one day, one hour. And if I get interviewed on Midlife Moxie right now, is it going to adversely affect my life right now? No. Most of the time, it's going to be no all the way down, maybe even to an hour. If, it, if the answer is yes, it's going to adversely affect my life an hour from now, that's okay because you already know that in a day, it's not going to adversely oh, affect your I love that. Life. You're, you're putting an end point to that adverse effect mm-hmm. instead of yeah. seeing it as something yeah. that's never ending. So the breakpoints were one year, six months, three months, one month, one week, one day, mm-hmm. and now. What a great exercise, Linda. So we've got that exercise. We've got the way. I want to share with you why this works. Because, you know, some people like, this is cool and everything, but why does it work? The reason, fear is emotion. Fear is energy. It's just energy. Mm -hmm. So another thing I started doing is that when I would feel fear, I would say, I'm excited. Instead of I'm scared, I'm excited. I'm afraid. I'm excited. And I just started using that word excited for all of those emotions that I was feeling. So now I'm in a two uh, positive word. Excitement is a positive word. It's just a word. So you substituted that word. Mm -hmm. Wow. Substitute that. Then, then what happens is I, I have this nervous energy, this anxiety going on, right? Whatever this fear is. Mm -hmm. And then I start asking myself some questions that are logical. Now I'm moving into my head. Yeah realistically, I'm asking logical questions. When we start to ask ourselves logical questions, that nervousness starts to dissipate. Because now I'm asking myself a realistic question. If I do this right now, it's going to adversely affect my life. And one year from today, no. Now I'm thinking logically. The Mm. fear is dissipated. Now I have my faith. My faith is erasing my anxious reactions. You know, that's so important that you talk about logic, right, Christina? Because fear moves us away from our logic. And I know I speak to someone because I'm not trained as a professional, but sometimes I've said to my friends, can we get in your logical brain and and talk about this? Uh Because when we are letting fear, it doesn't matter if our IQ is 197. When we're in a space of fear, we are not engaging. It's like it's not in gear, that logic place. I love right. that you've given like us these a, actionable, out. yeah, these actionable things, Linda, and sharing your story. I know it's can't be easy for that to keep to keep telling that, but I know you do it to help other people, and that is so commendable. Mm-hmm. You want to say anything well, about I wanna, that? I'd like to say something. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for saying that because um, I will share my story all day long, 
And it doesn't, I, I have zero emotions attached to it anymore mm. because I've told it so many times. My point here is that our stories are not only helpful for others, but they are healing for us. The more we get out there and share our story, even though it's going to be scary at the beginning, or it may be you know scary at the beginning, is eventually you tell it enough that it's, it doesn't have a hold on you anymore. My story has zero hold on me. I no longer see my dad as that monster, right? Because I've gone through this journey. And I love to share the gratitude, you know, the forgiveness and gratitude journey, because it's inspired other people to do the same thing, to have that gratitude for those people and that are them in their lives. The freedom that yeah. comes with this kind of yeah. work. And that's what a lot of people don't understand. They think it means being held down and tied down and all these bad things you have to do. But guys, if you can just squeeze through that part, then there's the freedom that comes. Yeah. Linda, oh my gosh, we've kept you so long again. Um, every time we're in your space, and uh, to our listeners, we know this is a long episode, but we think it's a really impactful and important episode. And Linda, it we is. hope you'll come back. Of course, you are. There's lots more to the story. You yeah. are such oh. an incredible. I mean, I'm not easily impressed. Christine will tell you that because she'll come in with somebody. I'm like, no, nah, they're a crackhead. No, we're not talking to them. Or look at their Instagram. They can't even spell. You know, things like that. But you, she's she's brutal. Sometimes. I don't mean to be. I just have that, I'm, the A has a critical eye, right? And Linda, I'm so impressed with you, and I continue to be more and more so every time I'm in your space. So. We want to thank oh, you thank for you your time. Um, where can people find you and find out more about you? Actiontakerspublishing.com. You know, we I moved into publishing a few, few months ago, and it's exciting because, again, I love telling people's stories, giving them that opportunity to share their stories with the world. And I'm just going to briefly talk about one of our programs that we're doing because I'm super excited about it. What we're doing is an influencer program where if you have a following of, I don't know, say 30, 40 people or more, and you want to share a story and you want to bring all those people together to share their stories as well. We're doing these collaboration books with your following. So it's so exciting. Just a, a new program that we've put out there is called our influencer program and just helping to share as many stories as possible. As you mentioned in my bio, our mission is to empower 5 million women and men to share their stories with the world, to make a greater impact on the planet. And that's what we're all about. And I'll share, how did I get that number 5 million? Because I thought 50,000 would be a great number. And then I remembered Grant Cardone wrote a book called 10X, which I've read many times. Mm -hmm. And so I like, oh, I got a 10X that number. And so I accidentally 100X'd it to 5 million. So 5 million is our number. <laughs> There's 5 million stories out there, Linda. So I love that there you are. are here to facilitate them. There are. Christina, girl, mm. uh, we may have to have a nap after this. What do you think? <laughs> oh, I, I'm like, yeah, this is a lot to intake. You, you know, I, I have to say, Linda... You're just such a beautiful soul. Thank, Thank you so you. much for, sorry, coming on and sharing your story. Because y'all, she comes so with no arrogance. She is one of the most humble people. Yeah. You can ha you can be confident and be humble and be loving. And what you're yeah. doing to help other people share their stories. I know you're not in it for the money. You, you're not in it for the fame. You're in it to to continue work that was so pivotal to you. So. Bless you for that. Bless you. We hope you get mm -hmm. to that. We hope you do 50 million. What the heck with five? Yes. yes. So <laughs> you're going to go above and beyond, my friends. Okay. Actiontakerspublishing.com. And remember, right. your Moxie girls over at midlifemoxie.net. Tell them our email, Christina. 
Uh, midlife Moxie, that's M-O-X-I-E podcast at gmail.com. And then also please join our new Facebook group, Midlife Moxie. Linda, I hope you're in that group if you're not. Go find your invitation because I know I sent you one. Um, because we would love to continue these conversations over there and we would love mm-hmm. for our inspiring guests and experts to be able to communicate with you. You know, we don't expect them to give you a therapy session, but we would love some ongoing communication there. So we've gone way too long. So with that, what do we always say, Christina? Go and get your moxie on. Bye.